Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, I was at a program by, led by a middle school youth group of the church that I was serving at the time. It was a variety show or a talent show that was intended to raise money for an upcoming mission trip. And a sixth grade girl got up and she told this joke. Are you ready? Sure. Knock, knock. Interrupting cow. Interrupting. Moo, she said. <laughs> and while we were all laughing, she interrupted again to say, Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> yes, we get it. We all know what it's like to be interrupted. And Jesus knew what it's like to be interrupted. The way that Mark tells the story in our gospel lesson for tonight, Jesus' handling of interruptions helps us understand, understand what matters to him and to appreciate his availability to those in need around him. In my early years as a pastor, I had a conversation with my father that I'll never forget. We were talking on the phone, and I was complaining about how hard it was to keep track of everything going on in the church around me, that it was hard for me to find time to prepare for sermons or get to all the meetings or to visit all the people who needed to be visited. The phone was constantly ringing, and this was before the onslaught of emails or cell phones that go with us everywhere. And people would often stop by unannounced. And I said, there are so many interruptions, I can't get anything done. And I'll never forget, my dad said, Joel, never forget, the interruptions are the ministry. The interruptions are the ministry. Those words changed everything for me. They were a paradigm shift. Though interruptions can still be a challenge, I see them differently now. Mark makes it clear that Jesus was interrupted regularly and often. And it is no stretch to say, by and large, that interruptions created the context and the opportunities for his ministry. Rather than putting people off or ignoring their problems or asking them to make an appointment, Jesus responded in the moment in loving and inclusive ways. We see it throughout Mark's gospel. The gospel opens with Jesus in a remote, a remote place by himself at prayer in the morning. And Simon and others interrupt him to say, everyone is searching for you, Jesus. And he immediately cuts his prayer time short and he goes to tend to the crowd. Later, while preaching, Jesus is approached by a leper, a man thought to be dangerously unhealthy because of his skin disease. The man kneels before Jesus, saying, If you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus stops what he's doing. He stretches out his hand, and he touches him, saying, I do choose. Be made clean. The man interrupted Jesus, but Jesus, by touching him, interrupted the man's isolation and began his restoration to the community. 
Next in Mark's gospel comes an even more familiar incident. While teaching to a full house, a man with paralysis is lowered through a hole in the ceiling. When Jesus sees the faith of the man's friends, he says to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. His friends interrupted Jesus. And Jesus interrupted normal social protocol to acknowledge the faith of his friends and to give the man new legs to stand on. And so it goes again and again in Mark's telling of Jesus' ministry. In our text this evening, Jesus is interrupted not just once, but twice. And in both instances, without hesitation, he drops everything to respond. First, Jairus, a man of position, wealth, and influence, comes to Jesus and falls at his feet and begs him to come and save his daughter who is near death. And Jesus goes just as he has asked. But on the way to Jairus' home, a woman stops Jesus in his tracks. Unlike Jairus, who is part of the social elite, this woman is a nobody, marginalized because she is a woman in a male-dominated culture because she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, which made her ritually unclean and unfit for relationship. She is an outcast, probably poor and essentially unseen by others. She went unnoticed by everyone but Jesus. She touched him and he stopped on a dime to take notice. Jesus' journey to care for Jairus' daughter would wait as he gave this woman his undivided attention. In neither of these cases does Jesus hesitate. He drops what he's doing immediately to tend to the interruption. Now I want to point out here that what Jesus does is more than perform a healing in both cases. What Jesus does reveals what God can do when God is invited into our lives, when God interrupts what we think is just our ordinary, everyday experience. God enters in to interrupt our lives and exceeds any expectation we might have for being made well. In fact, the Greek word translated here as make well or be made well is more often translated as to save. In Mark's reporting, it means more than a simple curing of what ails you, though that seems to be what Jairus and the woman were seeking. They both long for a cure, but what Jesus recognizes and announces to them is far more than that. The woman's life is restored, and her reintegration in community has begun. She's valued again for who she is. In Jairus' case, we don't know exactly what happens, but we do know that his daughter gets up out of bed when everyone thought she was dead. She, too, is restored to her family. Both are saved in the fullest sense of that word beyond simple cures or healing. I'm reminded of our commitment here at Richmond Hill to seek the healing of our metropolitan city. 
This text makes me think about healing in a broader and more inclusive way. It has something to do with salvation. We are seeking the fullness of what God intends for all of us. It is to hope for something full and complete for all of us who live here, for all of God's creation around us, for this entire metropolitan area. At evening prayer throughout the week here at Richmond Hill, we pause to reflect on an aspect of our rule. There are 12 points that we go through again and again. And last week, the point that we spent reflecting on throughout the entire week was healing. And on Saturday night, Richard shared some observations about healing that I thought were particularly insightful and pertinent. I wish he was here tonight, but he and Mary Lou are on vacation in Maine. But I asked his permission to share this. He said that if sickness is being present to the hurt, then healing is being present to the presence or being present to God and to what God is up to. It's something that we see here in our text. Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman become present to God in the interruption that they create. And that makes all the difference because it leads to something far more than just their getting well. Richard went on to share a quote from Esther Duvall, which I think is also pertinent for tonight. She writes that our God, the God of love, does not want a broken and divided self. God created us for fullness of life. God created each of us to be a free son or daughter. That son or daughter who in our deepest being each of us longs to be and to become. And we all know in our heart of hearts, even if we are unwilling to admit it, that this healing of our divisions, this search for wholeness, must be an ongoing process. There is no one, there is no once and for all moment when we can say that at last we are whole. The past is buried and over, the hurts forgotten, the wounds healed. Instead, we find that it is to be a search that we must expect to continue throughout our lives. Now, I think the same can be said for us as community that God does not want a broken and divided city any more than God wants each of us to be broken or divided. God created all of us for the fullness of life that God intends and desires the healing of all divisions that would separate us. God desires wholeness for our entire community. And the real, realization of that, too, is an ongoing process it's something we're invited to participate in. Something we pray and work for daily together here at Richmond Hill. Our prayers in a few minutes will be a reminder of that. Lisa Sharon Harper was our clergy convocation speaker last fall. And she led a workshop here at Richmond Hill last January, early February on faith-rooted community organizing. And Lisa equates this fullness that God intends with the word shalom from the Hebrew Scriptures. And she reminds us that shalom is more than peace or tranquility, 
or simply the absence of conflict. Shalom is a matter of wholeness and completeness of things being as they were meant to be. Her vision of hope, a vision that I think begins to describe what a healed metropolitan Richmond might look like, sounds like this in her writing. Shalom is what God declared. Shalom is what the kingdom of God looks like. Shalom is when all people have enough. It's when families are healed. It's when churches, schools, and public policies protect human dignity. Shalom is when the image of God is recognized in every single human. Shalom is our calling as followers of Jesus' gospel. It is the vision that God set forth in the garden and the restoration that God desires for every relationship. Doesn't that sound good? (laughs) But what does shalom like that require of us? First and foremost, I think it requires a deep and complete trust in God. Something that we see in the characters in our text. When Jairus arrives home with Jesus, everyone is weeping. He is told it is too late, but he remains steadfast and hopeful in what is to be. It is all the more remarkable that Jairus trusts Jesus when there is growing opposition and even plotting among his colleagues to have Jesus killed. He's aware of that, and yet he goes to Jesus asking for help. And he continues to trust even as Jesus is laughed at by others in his own home. God's healing, redeeming, restoring, and saving ability come to full expression through faith like Jairus's. Likewise, the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years trusts to the point of knowing that all she needs to do is get close to him, to touch the hem of his garment. It's confidence like that that stops Jesus in his tracks. He knows something has happened. Whoever touched him with complete receptivity like that is open to what God can do in their life. And he turns to see who it was. And then he speaks to her, not by name, but by calling her daughter, an address of kinship. You are part of my family, he is saying in effect, and your faith has made you well. In reaching out, she was restored to right relationship. She was saved. By interrupting Jesus out of faith and trust, God interrupted the loneliness and sadness of the past 12 years, offering her a new beginning welcoming her home as a beloved child of God. Tonight, I can't help but think of the migrant families at our southern border, families that have been torn apart by unjust policies, mothers and fathers separated from daughters and sons. Our text reminds us that we are all one family in God's eyes and that we should treat each other that way. It's a reminder that we should be building bridges and not walls. God's love knows no boundaries or borders. What Jesus offers is relationship and ongoing reconciliation. That, too, is what healing looks like. Jesus' interactions with Jairus and his son and with the woman and her illness are strong examples for us. 
We, like they, must trust that Jesus is who Jesus appears to be. When other voices challenge or deny that or suggest that it's just no use, encouraging us to simply give up or to lose heart or to put our faith in someone or something else, these stories encourage us to persevere and to remain present to God's presence. The healing and wholeness that Jesus offers doesn't ensure that every ailment or suffering will end immediately or that we won't die or that everything will turn out just the way we want it to all the time. But it does affirm that even death is not the end of the story. It's just another interruption. An opportunity for God to do what God promises to do, to love and heal and make whole. And it's another reminder that the healing we seek is a process that requires our participation and ongoing trust. God is up to something, and we must trust in that and in God's desire to interrupt our lives to bring completeness to this broken world. And that's good news for those of us committed to a grand vision of divine healing and wholeness for even this metropolitan city. Amen.